Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is February 16th, 2023, and I'm joined today as usual by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, but also on a special occasion by IPI senior research fellow, Bartlett Clellan, who happens to be in town today. So we're glad to have you in the studio today, Bartlett. Thank you. And we're going to be talking today about the issue of when government pressures big tech. Uh, And this has been in the news because of all of the uh, interesting Twitter files that Elon Musk has been releasing to various journalists since he bought Twitter and since he took control of the company. And the release of these Twitter files uh, helped to drive a hearing, a congressional hearing, where former and current executives of these companies were basically brought in to testify and give witness to some of the behind-the-scenes uh, conversations that were going on that that preceded certain accounts being taken offline, certain content being blocked or moderated or having warnings attached to it and things like that. And one of the things that came out in the the process of this hearing was that there was pretty constant communication between the FBI and these private social media platforms. And, you know, some of the folks, particularly uh, on the populist right, who want to argue that government should be regulating these platforms because they act as quasi-governmental entities, uh, they feel like they came away from these hearings with solid proof of what they've been of what they've been contending. So Bartlett, help us to sort of understand what some of the key issues are here. Sure. So I think first I'll a little bit set the scene historically. So government and technology companies um, have interacted in a lot of different ways for a long time. Um, really AT&T forward. So mm-hmm. um, there are any number of instances of government uh, going to technology companies asking for help depending, and changes depends on what that looks like. Telephones, where did the phone co- uh, call come from, that kind of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you can remember back to the days before, this was all easily noticeable on your phone. Um, and more uh, somewhere in between, uh, you might recall that the government asked App or Verizon. There was a uh, discussion with Verizon about giving some information. Verizon actually fought back and said, no, we're not, you go get a subpoena. Right. If you want that information, um, Apple, they wanted Apple and at least in a couple situations, but one that I can remember, I think it was in Los Angeles, uh, with someone that they, that the government asserted was a terrorist. Um, they wanted into, uh, I believe it was a guy into his phone and Apple said, well, we can't help you crack that encryption. And there was a lot of back and forth in the press then around that. Um, but for the most part, there has been a generally, uh, a situation where technology companies are helpful. Uh, where yeah. they can be. So and, and, and let, since you mentioned the subpoena, let's draw a distinction between there's there's informal cooperation, right? Uh, when the government does not have to force or demand, they can just Correct. request Correct. or suggest, right? But then the government does have subpoena power. That's right. And in a subpoena situation, of course, the whole idea here is that the government goes to a third party, obviously also part of government, but mm-hmm. a different branch of government, right. and says... We we need help. Um, we need information. They have that information, and we have some justification for being allowed to get it. Yeah. And so subpoenas, a lot of people think a lot of weird things about subpoenas. Subpoenas aren't that scary, really. They are a way for a company to be left out of the equation 
if something goes awry because yep. they say, listen, I did what the court ordered me to do. This was this was not our judgment call. That's right. Yeah. So right. so you you were kind of dealt out of the situation. So, of course, companies um, are OK or prefer that because now they do not they will not be in the midst of any kind of liability situation. Right. Probably the most common way that sort of thing has happened in the past is like with phone taps. Right. So so, so you know, some federal, state or local uh, police power uh they're tracking a crime. They're trying to, you know, gather evidence or whatever, and they want permission to tap somebody's phone. That's right. And you got to get permission. You got to get a subpoena to tap a phone. It's a good conservative check on the power of government right. to require that the courts, a an uninterested third party, take a look at the facts and then say yay or nay. Now, and there, yeah. there, we could do a whole podcast on the challenges around right. that. Whether that's a a good system where that system is working and, and whether it is operating uh, the way we'd all want it to. That's not the point. The point yeah. is for here, there's a third party to go to. So, but, but let's let, again, let's, let's emphasize the fact that the cool thing about getting a subpoena is that it basically, the, the company can't say we violated the privacy of one of our customers or the, or, or the company can't be criticized for violating the privacy Correct. of the customer Correct. because they were simply cooperating with law enforcement. And conversely, for a private company to say to the FBI, fine, but go get a subpoena. There's nothing wrong with that either. That doesn't, that doesn't make them unpatriotic or uncooperative. It just says, let's play this thing by the books. That that That's right. As yep. opposed to playing fast and loose, as opposed to, uh, conceding to big government uh, interference, they actually, the company in that case, actually is standing on the, the side of rights of citizens, right. which includes them, mm -hmm. uh, but also includes you and me as their customers and says, no, go do this correctly. So, yeah, that's exactly right. So that's that's a little bit of the the scene setting. What happened at Twitter, it seems from at least from that hearing and then um, some of the news reports and whatnot that followed that hearing is that the government in various forms, not just the FBI, uh, would call and kind of work, as, as I've heard uh, referred to, work the referees. Uh, so if Twitter is the entity that has to make judgment, call them and put their thumb on the scale of the decision making. Well, why do they have to do that? Well, they, they do that because Twitter is a private entity. Yep. It's a company that built a platform, uh, which is, say, a piece of software that w lots of people use to exchange communication. That's all it is. Like, Stripped down, that is all it is. And in in that scenario, um, there is no direct government action. Uh, the government didn't have a reason, didn't have any kind of uh, lawsuit to bring to stop something from happening. They were calling to say, well, it'd be kind of sort of better if. And 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 stronger language than that that yeah. we we uh, we've heard during the hearings. And you can think of extreme examples where no one would really have a problem with any of that, right? So, like if 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 a federal agency came to Twitter and said, "These four accounts are using your platform to exchange through direct messaging uh, terrorism plans," and we would like you to stop that from happening, and we have evidence that your platform is being used to facilitate that kind of communication, right? No one would really have a problem with that, I don't think. But where this has become an issue over the last several years, and we've heard this for several years now, is that the right feels like that the big tech platforms have been censoring them and keeping conservative views and viewpoints off. Whereas the left has said, in many cases, we well, are being much too generous and allowing way too much to come on. And that has created a sort of suspicion among the public, especially among those 
who are on the right and those who are on the left of big tech, which when you when you have these suspicions arise, then it raises sometimes I mean, it, it raises a lot of concerns. They may be valid or not valid, but you had this sort of suspicion that's arising. And then more recently, we found out that, in fact, that that with at least with Twitter, I don't know that we know this about other platforms, but at least there's been some testimony and, and evidence coming out that the government was reaching out to Twitter on some of this. And that for the conservatives said, aha, that's the aha moment. I think we should also, though, add you're talking about like conservatives thinking they're being discriminated against politically. Right. Well, we should also point out specifically during the, like the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, it wasn't just conservatives right. who were upset that they felt like information about alternative treatments or like if you expressed uh, skepticism that masks were useful and things like that. Um, there, it's not just a left right political thing. Uh, there were, there were people of all per- political persuasions, I think, who thought there should have been freer discussion allowed about the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, Twitter did various things from blocking content to taking down accounts to even um, adding, you know, warnings and attachments and things to certain kinds of posts. But the government in many cases were the left and the I would argue the left in many cases, but the government also was often saying this is fake information. This is false news, fake news here that people are, are expressing. And so the government, especially the, uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, was many times trying to put pressure, trying to say, don't let this information out right. because we think. Uh, these alternative treatments and so forth is bad news, and you, we don't want that getting out there among the platforms. So mm-hmm. you have this sort of growing suspicion among various groups of people who feel like, uh, can we really trust what's going on here? And there was some effort for of the government being involved, as you point out, in the pandemic, trying to, uh, if censor is not the right word, at least keep certain information off the web and out of these platforms because they felt like it was not helpful to the pandemic. Well, this is when we started hearing the term disinformation, mm-hmm. right? And misinformation. And there are such things as disinformation. Yes. Um, although I kind of feel like we're at a point right now where the word disinformation is being used almost to classify any speech that someone doesn't want to hear. <clears throat> right. <laughs> this disinformation. Right. And I, what all that conversation highlights for me is uh, a little bit of the so what. Now, I get that folks who feel that they have been silenced or toned down or put aside are offended by that. I, I totally get that. Um, and I think most of us would be. Whatever your political persuasion, wherever you were saying something, if someone essentially said, Shh, hush, uh, you, you would be irritated. Right. You would be annoyed. The question is... I think the central question that I actually find almost giggle worthy is it's a little bit like finding gambling in Casablanca, right? So, and with all due apologies to folks at Twitter, and I know several who are uh, right of center, um, to be surprised that a bunch of folks uh, would be leftist or left leaning and might not like certain things that are being said on the platform for which they work. Oh, okay. Um, I, I'm not even kind of right. like, so are we surprised when the next Republicans on Fox News or the next liberals on MSNBC? I think right. we all say, well, of course, that's what I when I want to hear what the other side's doing. I flip to now fill in the blank of the mm-hmm. channel. That's the other side for you. Yeah. It, 
so I don't at the end of the day, we don't refer to that as as censorship. And in a technical way, it's not censorship is the government censoring our in, in this country. Yeah, uh, the government that's the government acting, not a private entity acting let, let, in a broad way. It is limiting speech. Yeah. Let's not relegate that to just like technically. Let's like double down on that because it really is true. The word censorship is being thrown away in ways that are completely inaccurate. I mean, really, only the government can censor. Right. Only the government can censor. If if the New York Times refuses to run my op-ed submission, that's not censorship. And right? they, they would never do that, would they? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> or if I post an inflammatory comment on some website and the moderator, oh, geez, I mean, this goes all the way back to CompuServe and Prodigy, the, right? The, the, this is the center yeah, issue. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if I post some inflammatory comment and the moderator takes it down, I am not being censored. Correct. I, I, that, that I am that is, those are the terms of service that those platforms have chosen to have because they get to determine what kind of experience their customers have on the platform. And see, I think this is really important because so many people use the term censorship with regard, regard to private companies. Right. So, Tom, you occasionally guest host a talk show, a radio talk show. I occasionally guest host a radio talk show. People call in to express their comment. It goes through a producer. The producer may let them on or may not let them on. Right. Or if the person comes on and they're saying something inflammatory or inappropriate, you may cut them off. These are private companies, and they don't have to give the person who's calling in the right to be able to to, right. uh, to the, say whatever they want to say on that platform. That's right. And the reason I think on this podcast we need to just really double and triple emphasize that is folks on our side who are supposedly serious policy thinkers are doing exactly what we're decrying here. Right. They're calling stuff censorship that isn't censorship, and they're blurring lines between private entities and the government. And it's convenient to their argument to blur those lines, but those are those are illegitimate blurring of lines. And that's that's the key point. And why it's interesting, I think, now is because with the Twitter files coming out, we find that the government was reaching out to people at Twitter. Okay, well, if it's a private company and the government's reaching out, does that end up sort of crossing the line? And and at what point do you cross the line? And I, I bring this up because I don't have experience here, but I have experience in other areas where the federal government wants companies doing things, uh, supporting legis- certain legislation that the company doesn't want to support right. in other areas. And so what may happen is the chairman of a committee may may end up doing various things to uh, penalize that company in ways just by uh, imposing investigations. We want you to answer these questions. We're going to call you before Congress and we're going to hammer you up here in ways to say, get on board. We're the big man in town right now. And you need to know that we're the big man and you need to go along with our agenda. And there's ways they do that without forcing them. But in some ways they apply various kinds of pressure. And so That's why I find this so interesting is at what point does the government reaching out to the companies become uh, just assisting and moving to forcing pressure on there? And I don't know that we know the answer to this. Well, I think that's what we're trying. I think that's what we're trying to talk through here today, because, you know, I think all three of us as people who have spent our lives doing policy, we've learned that one of the first things you have to do when you're considering an issue is you have to figure out where the bright line should be drawn. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I see these Twitter file stories. Because I'm drawing a very, very bright, bold line between public sector and private sector, okay? And, I, and, I, and I'm emphasizing the fact that Twitter is a private actor, just like I am, mm-hmm. okay? 
So I hear these stories and I, I listen to the news stories and I think, boy, Twitter was probably way more cooperative than I think they should have been. Uh, Twitter was probably way too quick to respond to government requests in some cases than I think they should have been. And the government probably, in my opinion, was a little too bold about feeling free to tell Twitter what the government thought Twitter ought to do. And see, but that's, that's all, for me, that's all within the context of an interesting news story. There's no, and something needs to be done about this, you see? And the problem is so many people right now, are the way they consume this story is, and something needs to be done about this. You know, the government needs to step in, or we need new legislation or something. And I think one of the things that's happened over the past four or five years, you know, in years past, I would not have necessarily thought the FBI would have done certain things that we now know, especially with the Trump collusion investigation and so forth, that the FBI really went way past what it should have done yeah. in in trying to uh, press that message. And it creates this sort of, again, uh, suspicion among people to say, well, if the FBI did that there, could they have done it here with Twitter also? Yeah. And I don't know, but it, yeah. it there's, a, there's a suspicion and a mistrust of government now even among people who would normally have been generally trustworthy of, uh, of trustful of, of the government actions like the FBI mm. that I don't think we have anymore. So Bartlett, I think uh, the key question here is, and, and again, we hear some of our friends on the right making this accusation that when, when private entities act at the government's behest, that makes them quasi governmental actors, right? So we hear this a lot. So why don't you sort of address this? Cause it's a gray area. Right. The, the, that's right. So lacking a subpoena. Right. right. Lacking legislation or regulation that demands that they act in a certain way. Uh, does does responding cooperatively to a law enforcement request make you a quasi governmental actor? Right. And, and we know that um, where any number of, of rights, uh, lots, lots of this has been litigated mm-hmm. um, and there are lots of case law. Uh, but certainly in the First Amendment, if if an actor, a private sector actor is acting at behest of government, then they are situate, similarly situated to government for purposes of the analysis of whether your rights are being denied or not. Sure. So you can't, I mean, imagine you, uh, imagine the police force in a town hired uh, uh, some posse to go arrest you and put you in jail. Well, you still need to be Miranda, like all those same things would apply. You, you don't lose your rights. Th- that's right. They don't just get to end run that because they hired this entity. They're obviously, similarly, if the entity exists and they get pressured by government, and I, that's, I think, where the question is, at one, at where in this gray area does the pressure become, to Dr. Matthew's example, like, are there going to be more intrusive hearings if I don't do them? Am I feeling, it, it, are they really putting the bully in bully pulpit? If, well, am I, if, are, they, are they pushing me around? Yeah. And at what point do we say, th- this is what disturbs me, conservatives have oddly gone to attack this situation, the private sector, not the government. I think this is an awesome case for why government should never be big because this is what happens with big government. uh, Several of the populists have flipped the script and said, oh, no, no, the fault here is the private sector who is maybe worried about these intrusive hearings. So, no, the fault fault is government, right? Yeah, right. This is the best case I could imagine to argue for why government, we should be opposed to big government, not for, and what the right is, populist right is argues, oh, we actually need more government now to make sure that that government doesn't bully the 
the company that's completely wrong. Well, as, as sort of an extreme and, and ludicrous example of this, the image that pops into my mind is the mafia going from store to store downtown saying, nice business you have here. Be ashamed if something happened to it. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. And so if the shoe shop owner has no choice but to pay protection money to the government, we don't fault the shoe shop owner. No. That's exactly, that's exactly, the shoe shop owner's not the problem. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and so uh, now listen, it, does that mean that everyone has uh, everyone? Because I, I expect some people to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all great. But we know that there are people at Twitter who are sympathetic with what the government. I don't care because Twitter is its own entity. Right. Right. So we, if we're going to take action against companies and listen, the, the proposals here to solve this problem are all over the map. But one thing they have in, in common is. Bigger government, so right. more antitrust action, more more limitations on free speech, like all, all of these ideas that the, the commonality is bigger government and it is all at some level blaming the individual or the private sector. Turns out, um, I think, as we've said here before, that the the Constitution Bill of Rights um, is all about us being protected from government. Right. Not government being protected from us. Right. So uh, the politicians who get all upset about things that are said or not said on these platforms about them, tough. Yeah. The First <laughs> Amendment protects the rights of individuals and puts obligations on government. That's right. It doesn't put obligations on individuals and protect the right of government. That's right. We, we, we tried that before. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was called the monarchy, and we didn't like it so much. Yeah. So, so it's, it sounds like you think that— um, people who care about this issue should focus their ire on government and on law enforcement for pressuring social media platforms, not so much on the social media platforms themselves. Is that right, or is that, or is that an oversimplification? No, I think it's exactly right. I, okay. I, I've never understood why we somehow – I mean, people have barked about the FBI, certainly, mm. although largely in other contexts and other places – how this isn't a huge, de- I mean, to Dr. Matthew's point, how this isn't the central issue in this discussion uh, for the right, how how you don't have Fox News just going all day and night about yeah. the intrusive nature of big government is crazy to me. So does this, this, does this take us to this topic of the, and I have such a hard time with this word, the politicization of the FBI and like the, the politicization of law enforcement because um, – it does seem like the problem here, and if you think about, for instance, Twitter in the New York Post story, where basically the FBI went to Twitter and said, this is Russian disinformation. It's Hunter Biden's laptop. This is Russian yeah. disinformation. And so they literally froze the New York Post's Twitter account. And then we find out, you know, at least by 18 months later, if not sooner, that no, it was it was not Russian disinformation. <laughs> there really was a laptop. It really did have stuff on it. I mean, the story was true. So it's not it's not just that government is overweening and aggressive. It's that government sometimes is wrong. And if you're if you're just going to by default as a private entity, if you're just by default going to say we're going to do whatever the government asks us to do. You're going to be wrong sometimes because the government's wrong a lot. So and you you. You kind of ended up where I was going to answer your original question, which is I don't know if it's politi- politicalization um, yeah, or not we because should. that speaks to motivation. Yeah. And I don't I, I find it always be a fool's errand to try to puzzle out someone's motives, which is, again, why I like to go back to the bright lines of principle, because once you have those established, then everyone just plays that to that to that game. I don't have to guess what the motivation is. You, mm. you stepped over the line. Did you put pressure on a company? Mm hmm. 
that should maybe be a bright line. I kind of back to where we're trying to figure out we're in that gray area. Right. Maybe it's, hey, if you let them know, hey, we, we have alternate information. CDC calls, hey, we have alternate information to what we've seen up here. Uh, would you take a look at, oh, sure, we'll run that too. Just go ahead and put, I have no yeah. problem with that. Or if the platform says, you know what? We don't trust a darn thing the government says. We're not going to run anything you have to say. In fact, we are a bunch of conspiracy theorists here, and that's all we're putting up. <laughs> hey, guess what? That's what they get to do, they're, too. They're private, because they're a private <laughs> actor. That's exactly right. You know, just as an aside, it seems that a lot of the people at some of these platforms that are, that are making these kinds of content moderation decisions, uh, I mean, setting aside politi- uh, political bias, which you've already talked about, it, it appears in a lot of cases that they themselves weren't particularly uh, familiar with the First Amendment it's itself. Uh, no, I agree. And the, the, the protections that the First Amendment afforded them as a platform. And that, you know, we, don't, we you and I spend a lot of our time trying to explain to people what the First Amendment actually is and what it actually does, right? Yeah, right. But we do have, the First Amendment has granted us what people might refer to as a free speech culture. And so setting technicalities aside, Generally speaking, the answer to problematic speech is more speech, not less speech. That's right. And so, you know, it it probably would have been wise in retrospect had Twitter and Facebook, to a lesser degree, I think, uh, said, okay, we, we, we may be taking a slight risk by letting some of this crazy stuff on our platform. But, should the, but the good news is, is it, it will quickly be identified whether it's crazy stuff or not. You know what I mean? Which was always the dream, right? If you go back to the uh, the 1990s, um, at least, maybe before that, I don't know, maybe this conversation happened around bulletin boards, but the notion was that information would be free and you would have the wisdom of the crowd. Now, we can, we can scoff at wisdom of the crowds, and frankly, a lot of times I do, but the notion was that you could find more, better information than you could without everybody right. putting in their piece of the puzzle. And again, you can argue whether it's a better outcome or not. You, all those same methods of getting information, rumors from your next door neighbor, whatever, are still available. Yeah. We have this additional one. And theoretically, it works better because you have more input from more people. That's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what's kind of it. It's just to get really like normal about this. If I forget yeah. the policy, forget the law, what is at risk? At risk is greater communications because whether people like it or not, we do have more communication now than we had 20, 25 years ago. All of these big debates have been in the area of communications technology. There's a ginormous world of technology out there, which is one reason I hate the term big tech, because it's you're talking about a couple companies uh, that do mm-hmm. so social media. There, there are hundreds, uh, tens of thousands of tech companies in this country, and you harm all of them when you start this culture that is opposed to the idea of innovation, the, the opposing the idea of of freedom of thought, uh, et cetera. And when the government does it, as we were saying, that's the problem. It's not when the company acts that way. One other human thing uh, that your comments spurred, as I listened to the some of the hearings, and I didn't listen to all of them, I, I actually had some amount of sympathy for these executives and others who I thought were being kind of unfairly excoriated, just, just from both sides, uh, honestly. Well, the, they a, were a televised tough... hearing gives you that opportunity well, right, as a politician, the, right? Well, yeah, yes. Uh, and, and Score points. The, it, precisely. I just, I kept thinking over and over, and I've had the opportunity to sit through a couple of these, um, um, what would you call it, uh, drills with 
with companies where they will walk you through, here are some of the real life decisions we've had to make. What would you decide? They're not easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge anyone who hears this podcast to, I, I think, you, you know, give us, give us a call. I think I'll give you a couple examples where you'd be left scratching your head, whether the post should stay up or be taken down. They're really not easy. The easy ones get, like, we don't hear about yep. the easy ones, right. right? We hear about the hard ones and that's what they were focused on. And I thought for all the, for all of the, uh, uh, hot air and puffery coming from the dias. I wonder how many of those legislators are that critical of their own websites that they have up. I suspect not many. Okay. So I think there's one more angle on this before we wrap up that I think is interesting. And that is, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, on other topics, that uh, the thing about markets, whether they're financial markets or information markets or whatever, is that they things play out over time. You don't know if something is right or true or accurate right away. You know, we were just talking about the New York Post story. Um, you know, you're told it's false and you find out later it's true. If you think about some of the uh, some of the COVID pandemic stuff, right? You had the CDC itself saying, don't rush out and buy masks. They're really not going to be effective. And then they turn around and say, okay, everybody's got to have a mask in order to leave your house. Or two masks. Right, exactly. <laughs> and over time, you know, you're you're told at first that you're going to pick this virus up off of surfaces, and then you find out later. Well, no, you're not going to pick it off of surfaces or frozen meat. Remember right, that? exactly. <laughs> you're it, you're actually going to pick it up airborne. I mean, there were entire companies that came into business to sterilize surfaces from COVID, and then it turned out it wasn't transmitted on <laughs> right. surfaces. Well, if you've got too quick of a trigger in content moderation, you know, well, let's look first from the from the from the private entity standpoint. If you've got too quick of a moderation trigger. Uh, you don't know that what that person said is necessarily false. You don't know how the story is going to play out. You don't know how the science is going to develop. You don't know what other information is going to come at hand. So if, if you've got too quick of a uh, – I was going to say censorship. I should smack myself. If you've got too quick of a content <laughs> moderation trigger, you're liable to end up with mud on your face because these things play out in real time and they play out over time. And it's the same thing sort of from the government – pressure standpoint, right? Um, the government should should only approach social media platforms with concerns if the government's pretty darn sure they're right, because an exercise of government power should come with it, liability and responsibility. And so, you know, again, I keep going back to this New York Post story. You know, everybody ends up with mud on their face there, except for the New York Post, except for the victim, right? Right. I mean, the government was wrong. The FBI was wrong. Twitter was wrong. It's it, it's a classic case of of uh, the the post was exactly right. And how much better would it have been if both the government and Twitter said, you know, we're not going to have a quick trigger. We're going to let this play out over time because things play out over time. Whether whether again whether they're economic markets or information markets or news stories, you know, how many times do you hear a breaking news story and it turns out four days later when all the information's come in that none of what you heard at the very beginning was true. Like about balloons. Well, exactly. <laughs> Bartlett so much wants to do a balloon podcast. He's just so itching to do a podcast on balloons. Okay. Well, look, I think this was really, really helpful. And I think the idea of folks should focus their ire on the government getting involved in and pressuring private entities. In the old days, it was newspapers. Yep. Right. And uh, that it was radio and it was television and now it's Internet. That's right. Right. And uh, we need to we need to always draw a bright line between private entities and government entities. And to our to our policy thought leading friends on the right, 
please stop intentionally blurring these lines because it's, it's rhetorically and it's intellectually dishonest to blur that line between private entities and the government. And dangerous. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org. If you found this topic to be of interest, you'll find lots of information at our website about technology policy, social media companies, this importance of drawing bright lines between private entities and public entities, uh, what the First Amendment does, what the First Amendment doesn't do, etc. So go to our website at IPI.org, sign up so that you can receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or Spotify or your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society, which you can also do at our website. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. 